Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. We hear from so many Love Every families asking about the stories behind our books. So today we're bringing you the backstory behind Uncle Rob's Pizza Party. And I'm passing the mic off to Nicole Stamp to help guide the conversation. Nicole is Love Every's Senior Advisor of Equity and Inclusion. In addition to her work for Love Every, Nicole writes and directs children's media. And you might also remember her from a previous spot on the Love Every podcast. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Jessica. I'm so excited to be interviewing you. This is so fun for me. I love being in this seat and not in the the seat that you're in today. Um, Yeah, well, I'm enjoying this seat too. So as Jessica said, for today's episode, we wanted to share the stories behind how some of Love Every's books came to be. And today we're talking about the book Uncle Rob's Pizza Party. So for me, one of the reasons that I wanted to work at Love Every is that I've always been so impressed with the quality of the representation in Love Every's books. And to me, this book is a real standout. It's included in the Problem Solver Play Kit for months 43 to 45. And this book is about a three-year-old child who visits her Uncle Rob, who has an intellectual disability. She learns how he communicates, she meets his friends, and they enjoy a fun birthday party together. So I wanted to interview you, Jessica, because I think this book probably has a special place in your heart. It really does. So Uncle Rob, the character in the book, is actually my brother and Bee's uncle. So Bee is my daughter. She was three at the time when we conceived of this book. Rob is 38 years old. And we were able to work with my sister Kate. But of course, like what was so meaningful was to be able to center Rob and as well as my our parents, Rob's friends and the group home where he lives. And we're actually really lucky to be joined by your sister as well. Dr. Kate Barrett is an occupational therapist and associate professor at DePaul University with a master's in global health doing international occupational therapy work with global populations, immigrants, and refugees. Kate, it's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here today. This book means a lot to me as well. So can the two of you share how this book came to be? Yeah, so we were home for the holidays and we live in a different place. And so we came, we flew in and we were there in Minnesota together. I was so excited to be together. And B all of a sudden developed this, you know, kind of one of those toddler fears of Rob. And it was so disruptive. She didn't want to be in the same room with him. She would kind of cry and act fearful. And it was really, frankly, kind of embarrassing for me. It was really hard for us as a family because we love Rob so much and we all wanted to, of course, be together. So it was really ended up being kind of disruptive. So I remember on Christmas morning sitting with Kate on the couch and Rob was there, you know, kind of being cozy, sitting with us and B was not wanting to be in the same room. And I just turned to Kate and I was like, 
Kate, what can what can we do? So I thought perhaps we could write a social story for B and help B understand some of Rob's behaviors. So people with Angelman's um, have a speech impairment and typically use sounds and actions to communicate in place of words. Um, they also have a movement and balance disorder, which makes it difficult for them to walk on their own. So Rob walks with the assistance of another person, or he can also get around by crawling around on the ground. And I think these were some of the behaviors that were difficult for B to understand. So I was thinking we could write uh, a social story to help B understand Rob and come up with some things that B and Rob have in common as well. And so we thought, okay, what if we were to actually, you know, pivot and write a story for our Love Every customers to, to, you know, to give other children examples of how they can encounter what might appear to be different. Toddlers oftentimes have fears of difference. And so we wanted to create a story that could be more universal. So for people who may not be familiar with Rob's diagnosis of Angelman syndrome, it's caused by a genetic deletion. It's very similar to autism in some ways. It has a common genetic basis with some forms of autism. And the current view is that Angelman is considered a syndromic form of autism spectrum disorder. So it might have a different cause, but many of the behaviors are very similar. So Jessica and Kate, I'm curious, when you look back at your childhood growing up together with Rob, did you ever feel like there was something missing in terms of how other children are taught about disability that you wish that maybe you could address as adults now? I remember being at church and Rob would make a vocalization in a time where everyone was quiet or he would get excited about something and he would he would start laughing or he would be flipping pages. And I remember the eyes of children on our family. I remember everybody kind of, you know, there was a lot of love, but there was a lot of misunderstanding, especially from the younger children in the in the congregation. And I think that having a tool like a book or being able to experience and kind of be familiar and encounter all this kind of what's perceived as different can be so helpful for children. They just need a frame. They just need to start to have their questions answered and understand. And then and then the integration is so much so much easier and more fluid. So I think that if we'd had, frankly, if we'd had the the Uncle Rob book, I think that it would have really, it would have really helped a lot of those moments. I, I remember those moments in church as well. I also remember going out to brunch and Rob is very motivated by food. And um, a waitress walked by our table with a basket of rolls and Rob grabbed one before anybody knew what was happening. And I remember getting some dirty looks and I thought to myself, you don't even know how much worse that could have been. <laughs> you know, it's just a roll. <laughs> um, it wasn't, but, a, it um, wasn't, a, it wasn't a platter of, uh, of, of drinks. Right. Exactly. Exactly. What was the process of actually creating the book? The first version, I would say, I wrote more from B's perspective, which which wasn't really the right way to write this book. It's really Rob's story. Rob is centered in the story. And I wrote some of the realities, I think, in the beginning of the fear that Rob that B had of Rob and then overcoming that fear. And, you know, and and so it was similar to some of the arcs that we do in story arcs with Love Every Stories, but it really did not work in this case because we didn't want to reinforce the sort of negative perceptions. And so we 
rewrote the story with the goal of just being really clear and explaining to children and, a, you know, kind of in a children's way that they take in the world, how they can, you know, encounter people that might at first seem different, but then find these universal uh, connection points. Yeah, I think one of the trickiest things is to try to write a book about Rob and not speak for him, um, but to represent him as the best that you, the closest that you can to how you think Rob would want to be represented. And it's hard. You know, there's so many times over the past 37, 38 years where we said, we just wish Rob could talk. We just wish we knew what he was thinking. And so I think, um, you know, upholding Rob's dignity and trying to represent him as genuinely as possible was, was important in this process. I also want to mention that Rob's friends are other intellectually disabled adults, and it was really important that they and their families were all excited to participate and take part in this and really, you know, kind of give consent. So they wanted to advocate to teach more people they were excited about you know, very proud of being in this book. We have some of the photos from the book blown up and are displayed in in their home. And it's it's just been a really special, special process. How was the actual photo shoot? The photo shoot was so fun. You know, it was so special to be able to be with our, you know, my parents and and B and Rob and have this really, it ended up being as much as it looks like a special day in this book where we were all together and having fun. It was like, it was this, it was triple the, the fun of what it looks like in the book. So we spent hours with Katie throwing balls over our shoulders into, into a box in the beginning of the day, the middle of the day, the end of the day. It was really special for us to be able to be with Rob and feel so much pride in, in his home and in this community that he has. So it was, it ended up being a very meaningful day. One of my most meaningful days at work ever. Now, today, we're really lucky to also be joined in the studio by a wonderful guest. So we were looking for a leader in the world of Angelman Syndrome to discuss this book, and we actually found, I would say, a human unicorn in the form of Dr. Terry Jo Bichelle. So 22 years ago, when her son, Lou, was diagnosed with Angelman Syndrome, Terry Jo decided to get her PhD in neuroscience. So she's a neuroscientist and the founder and director of Combined Brain, working to help achieve clinical trials readiness in rare genetic neurodevelopmental disorders. Terry Jo, welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to be here. And I'm relating 100% to all the stories that Jessica and Kate have been telling. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with Angelman Syndrome? So my son, Lou, is 22, almost 23 years old. And he uh, loves so much being around our family. He has four sisters older than him. And he has one nephew, our first grandson, who's three years old, named Elio, and he loves being around Elio. He also loves food so much that a lot of times his love for food disrupts our family get-togethers because as much as Lou likes to sit next to his family and eat dinner, he also likes to grab their pizza pieces right off their plate. 
So that book was just hilarious for us. We couldn't believe that there was a picture of another young gentleman, so much like Luke, grabbing pizza from a three-year-old <laughs> exactly the way Lou does. It was amazing. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, can you talk a little bit about the relationship between Lou and Elio? Lou adores Elio. We live in different states. We do a lot of FaceTiming um, to try to stay in touch, but it it is it is complicated for a three-year-old to understand why a grown-up has a hard time communicating or playing with the same toys or wanting to grab toys. And so it is complicated. I do think that we've been lucky that because of all the FaceTiming that Elio does feel that he knows Lou and Lou just loves being on any form of interaction with Elio. So Elio is sometimes a little bit afraid of Lou, but for the most part, uh, he now understands that Lou is just different and that Lou just yells a little bit when he wants something instead of gently asking as another man his size might do. Have you heard of Love Every? We create play kits designed by experts to help develop your child's brain. Every two to three months, a play kit is delivered to your home. It's matched your child's age and what they are hungry to learn. We've done all the research so you don't have to. Go to loveevery.com to learn more. L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. One thing I'm hearing from all three of you is that the way that Rob and Lou communicate is normal. It's not necessarily typical, but it's normal. And that's exciting to me because I think we can all, as a society, shift our ideas around disability and not see it as a problem that one person has. But what if we looked at it as an opportunity to change our environments, to change our social structures, to change our ways of communicating so that more people can fit in? You know, if you look at it in terms of physical disability, the problem's not that this person doesn't use their legs to walk. The problem is that the building has stairs at the front. And if there weren't stairs, then the way that they move wouldn't be a problem. So I think we can shift that framing to a lot of social dynamics, too. The problem's not that Rob doesn't speak or that he, you know, takes a piece of pizza if he wants to eat pizza. The problem is that the rest of us have such a narrow definition of what communication is that that behavior um is framed as a problem. And so what I love about a book like this is that it teaches people to look for the meaning behind the behavior, look for the ways to connect with the other person. And I think it helps to make a more inclusive world, which is something that I think we could really stand to shift about the way our society views difference and disability in general. I I have to say, so I took the book with me to Colorado for Thanksgiving. We spent Thanksgiving, the whole family, with Elio's family. And the book was almost as valuable for all the adults as it was for Elio. Elio read the book and we read the book to him, also with Lou sitting nearby. And he was interested in turning the pages and 
noticing that there were things that Rob did that were like the things that Lou did. Um, and I think that's really good. It's good for him to maybe keep revisiting that as he grows up and has more questions over the next year or so about what his uncle Lou is all about. But I have to tell you, I think it was even more valuable for my adult children and their significant others, because as they were reading the book, they were realizing, oh my gosh, Lou isn't unique. He's special, but he's not that special. He's a lot like Rob. And so I think that it was almost eye-opening even more for the other adults in the room to understand the family interactions in Rob's family and how they were just like the interactions in our family. It's so interesting to hear you say that, Terry Joe, because I feel like I share this book with my friends and colleagues because it even helps them understand me and my experience of being Rob's sister, too. Can you say more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, when I share this book with others, they they want to know more about Rob. And it's hard to start a conversation. You know, you can say, oh, my brother has a disability and he lives in a group home, but that doesn't that doesn't say anything about Rob or our relationship. And so I think this book gives them a window into who Rob is. And then that gives people a window into my family and my experience growing up. And it's a big part of what has shaped me as, as a person and as an occupational therapist. There are a lot of Love Every Subscriber families who have children who have developmental delays, intellectual disabilities, other exceptionalities. Um, and I'd love it if we could offer some advice for them. Um, so maybe, Terry Joe, in your capacity, if a child is showing any traits that could be markers of Angelman syndrome or any other cognitive diagnoses, do you have any advice about what's important for families to know? I do. As a neuroscientist, I spend a lot of time working on treating these disorders and actually looking for a way to see if there's a way we can correct the underlying genetic problem. So I spend my whole day trying to cure Angelman syndrome and other disorders like Angelman syndrome. But I spend my evenings and weekends trying to learn how to enjoy life with the person with Angelman syndrome and help him make the most out of his life. And so I do think that we can hold both those things in our minds at the same time, that we need to uh, do the absolute best we can to understand and enjoy and appreciate each other the way we are, even at the same time that we're trying to find treatments and cures. So I always tell families of people with Angelman syndrome that what they need to do from the very beginning is give their children as much stimulation as possible, be around as many other people as they can, try different routines and sensory inputs, try different ways of communicating with iPads or sign language or loud noises or pointing at uh, pictures at anything that we want to make sure that 
people who have differences in their brains, like people with Angelman syndrome, have every opportunity they can to interact with the world. I love that. And Kate, from your experience with your background in occupational therapy, do you have any other advice for families who think that maybe their child is exhibiting some behaviors that might be associated with some kind of diagnosis? Yeah, I I love what Terry Joe said. You know, in Rob's case, we didn't have Rob's diagnosis until he was 17 years old. We did not know he had Angelman syndrome. And Rob really taught us what he needed through doing everything that Terry Joe just mentioned. Rob showed us um, how he was best going to communicate, how he was best going to learn how to eat, how he loved water and swimming was good for him and how he really needs a lot of sensory input. So the experience of going onto the Angelman website, which I would definitely refer readers to if they want to learn more, was an incredible experience after growing up with Rob for 17 years because he taught us everything about Angelman syndrome and we didn't even know the word or that the condition existed. I do want to say one more thing. What was amazing to me about this whole situation, when my grandson was born, Elio, living in a different state, I can't travel there as much as I would like because I need to be in Tennessee with Lou. And so I really wanted to have a presence in his life. And I stumbled on the Love Every subscription my grandmother's name is Mamouche, and he's been getting a box of toys from Mamouche every three months since he was born. His house is filled with these toys, and we we love these toys so much, and he all of us love them. In fact, Uncle Lou loves the toys, and when I got the book about Angelman Syndrome, I couldn't believe that it was coming from the same company. That was just amazing. Mm, Dr. Terry Joe, you have me in tears. It's really incredible to be connected in this way. Thank you. Yeah, I'm a little teary myself. Sorry about that. Just, it's a really, the love every toys are a way for us to connect to my grandson. Dr. Terry Joe, it's so wonderful being with you. Thank you. I just want to say thank you to all three of you for sharing something that's so personal and vulnerable, and it's really beautiful to witness. Um, and what a joy to talk to all three of you, Dr. Terry Joe Bichelle, Dr. Kate Barrett, and Jessica Rolfe. Thank you so much for this conversation. We know that Love Every is being used in physical and cognitive therapy and in a variety of other professional settings. To support this work, we've recruited an expert counsel to guide how we think about neurodiversity and disability. These are experts with lived experience, from personal experience to clinical experience, academics, parents of children with exceptionalities, and those in the field of disability advocacy. I'm so excited to share more about the council and how it is going to impact our work at Love Every. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.